The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. First and 10 from the 45. Uh-oh. Again, Benson up the middle. The brick bursts through. 30, 20. You're not going to catch him. The brick breezes into the end zone. Touchdown, Florida State. Touchdown, FSU. And that's what I'm talking about, baby. Three yards here, five yards here, seven yards here, two yards here, three yards here, and then you take it to the house. That's what I'm talking about, big dog. The brick busts the dam open. 55-yard touchdown strike straight through the heart of the pit defense to pay dirt. First and 10 to the Three wins in three days for Florida State over the program from the Three River City. It is a very good evening to you and how you be. With William Haynes here and you there on the other side of the dial at 89.7 FM WVFS Tallahassee. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. Also a happy birthday to WVFS Tallahassee, turned 36 years old. Yesterday, it's been tremendous for all of us here at, as Florida State students to be a part of this uh, tremendous organization and to be able to take the air here terrestrially in town and also online anywhere in the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. Perhaps you're at maybe the Tucker Center for the women's basketball game tonight, so we're uh, as well available the next day as a podcast wherever you get those. Maybe a little suggestion. No one loves Arya Masudi more than me, but if you brought the radio to the game, maybe turn him down, maybe scroll over to 89.7 and catch uh, Tomahawk Talk. I know the Knolls are up big over Charleston Southern. I think it was something like 30 points at halftime, and we'll keep you updated as that one goes along here on this Monday night. But we welcome you here to the studio with William, Jackson, Amanda, and Matthew with a great show in store tonight. The football team beat the University of Pittsburgh 24-7 on the banks of the Three Rivers on Saturday evening. We will also preview this upcoming game uh, on Saturday against the team down south in the Miami Hurricanes. Seminal segment, Jack Oliaro, our producer, will have that one at the midway point. Uh, he's going to have a little bit of an extended segment because there is so much interesting uh, things to talk about. The uh, volleyball team knocking off a highly ranked pit uh, team and the soccer team in this ACC semifinal. Stop me if you've heard this before, knocking off a Pittsburgh team. So there's lots to get into from there and at the end of the show as well. It's basketball season. College basketball has finally way, made its way back into our lives. We'll tell you about the Knowles on the men's and women's side as this hour progresses. We'll be with you up until new release at 8 p.m. You can call the show and be a part of the program, 850-644-1837, at VD9Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. Without further ado, I am William Haynes. As always, our co-host, Jackson Bakich. How's it going? Uh, it's it's always you know a, a great opportunity to to be on this program and you know you mentioned WVFS having their their 36th birthday always a wonderful wonderful organization to be a part of I'm very blessed to be a part of this organization and you know you said we we get to share these airwaves with this organization and you know my mom always said I had a I had a face for radio so um, it's just like I said it's a blessing to to, to be on these airwaves. Well, I'll say this, a, a face for radio is better than a voice for print. That's like the, the next rung below. So you take what you can get. And well, I'm both. So maybe maybe I'm <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm harboring kind of right there in the middle. Hey man. Yeah, also the uh, the sports editor of the FSV, so esteemed uh, company here in the studio tonight. Speaking of 
uh, esteemed company, one of our panelists tonight, Amanda Golson, ACC Network sideline reporter extraordinaire. She's been covering volleyball. She'll be covering the women's basketball season that is ahead in all things Florida State. Amanda, great to have you. You are always in the studio, sometimes doing some uh, recorded segments, but back here tonight behind a microphone. How have you been? Wonderful. Feels great to be back in the analyst chair. As you said, I'm usually here in some capacity. Um, I've been having a lot of fun doing some social media stuff. So Great work, by the way. Thank you. It's, uh, it's actually a lot more work than people think. So shout out to all the social media people out there because I, I respect y'all. But, I mean, basketball's back. The weather's beautiful. It's Miami hate week. What else could we ask for? And we saved the daylight once again, whether you like it or not. Personally, I'm a fan. I've got morning classes. So the, it wakes me up more, but we can get into that. You like uh, it being dark before 6. See, I don't like that, but I like I like the light in the morning, so I guess it's a lose-lose for most people. <laughs> it's a trade-off. It's one of those things. Yeah. Also in the panel tonight, making his show debut, we've had some great ones this semester. Matthew Smith, known affectionately around these parts <laughs> as Matty Ice. But, Matthew, great to have you with us tonight. How does it feel to be behind one of these microphones? It's special, man. I mean... <clears throat> Really grateful that you guys are bringing me on. Um, <clears throat> I did not know it was the uh, WVFS birthday edition of Tomahawk Talk. So, celebrate. yeah, it's a <clears throat> you know special moment to be here. Um, you know, excited to be here alongside you guys, and let's talk FSU sports, baby. Yeah, no, uh, no cake and birthday candles. We did have some leftover Halloween candy just before we took the air, so close enough, I suppose. Again, you can call us up, 850-644-1837. We've got to get on our horse here. Florida State football beats Pittsburgh 24-7 to on the football field. I was up there at Acrisure Stadium, formerly known as Heinz Field. It was a weird environment. Uh, they didn't pack the place out. That's an awfully small university to be playing in an NFL stadium. Uh, they they did play a, a, on campus for quite a while and look they're they're a they're a tradition program nine national championships uh, only one since the 70s they do have a Heisman Trophy winner so uh, there is uh, kind of some history and some tradition to that program that was interesting to be up there for that but there was no noise uh, when we previewed this game months ago we were concerned about the weather how is it in Pittsburgh in November with the rain and the wind and the cold Louisville lost their only game of the season on a really bad weather game in Pittsburgh Florida State was spared it was 60 and, and mostly sunny and not a good crowd, not a good football team, and it, it turns into Jackson another great win for the Knolls. They're now 9-0 and on the year, and uh, the win streak dating back to last year out to 15 games now. Yeah, this game reminded me of the Boston College game earlier this season, but kind of for different reasons. You know, Florida State is up two or three scores at some point in the third quarter. The offense has you know, put up a decent amount of points and should be able to take the foot off the gas. Granted, Florida State didn't put up their normal 31 points, but you know, can't have it every game. That streak was very impressive for the Knowles, and it came to an end. But this team has to look to the defense at this point in the game and say, hey, you know, hey, we appreciate what you've done so far, and you haven't given up any points as of yet, but we need you to see this one out. And what did Florida State's defense do against BC? They gave up three straight touchdowns and almost gave the game away. And, yes, Boston College's offense is a lot more dynamic compared to Pitt. As the Eagles had quarterback Toms Castellanos, and it was a red bandana game. Regardless, Florida State's defense answered the call against LSU. They did it against Virginia Tech. They did it against Duke. And they did it against Pitt on Saturday. This game, regardless of the three-score victory, was a slugfest. Neither team scored until the second quarter, and Pitt took the lead first. 
So once again, you have to hand it to the defense. We've had our criticisms about Fentrell Cypress, but his play to track down the pit wide receiver and force a fumble on the goal line was nothing short of incredible. And while the situation is different, that kind of play is, in my opinion, is on par with Shaheen Brown's blocked PAT against LSU in 2022. When it is easy to give up and just let the opposition score because hustle and effort just seem counterproductive at that point, both of these guys, both Brown in 2022 and Cypress, during this game against Pitt, they stepped up and just tried to make a play regardless of the result. And there and there are things in sports that are just unteachable. There's, there's speed and there's height and there's natural build. But those two plays I just mentioned are teachable. It's heart. It's sacrifice. And yeah, maybe some players are more coachable to that type of training, but Norvell put so much emphasis on having heart that to think that his leadership had nothing to do with, with Cypress's spectacular play I would argue it's just simply incorrect. So Florida State, their defense, you know, they answer the call. They answer what they had to do against Pitt's offense, regardless of how good it is. And they won that game against Pitt when they were called to do it. Didn't come pretty. Just uh, 10-7, Knowles led at halftime, but uh, Florida State gets the job done again. Yeah, I mean, obviously an ugly game. Not what Florida State fans expected, not what the panelists last week expected, kind of gave out score predictions, pretty much all were blowouts. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, they got the job done without arguably their two biggest pieces on the offense, which we'll touch on later. But I think that just says something about the resilience of this team and their ability to find people to step up when needed and kind of finish things out in any way. Offense was sleepy early. Lawrence Tofili with a fumble on the first drive, then Florida State with a missed fourth and two conversion inside the Panthers 10-yard line four straight punts with uh, most of those being three and out so it wasn't the Florida State offense that we had come to know early in first halves of games but uh, the Knolls with with back-to-back touchdowns late in the third quarter to pull ahead they had a chance there at the end a legitimate chance to get to that 30-point mark to which they had done 14 straight games it was third and goal at the pit two but they let the time expire Great sportsmanship from from my perspective, from Mike Norvell and company. You tried on the first couple of downs to punch it in. You can't. Uh, a record is a record, but you don't need to just run up the score there at the very end of the, the fourth quarter, 24-7 to for Florida State going away. I want to start here, and this is the, the main headline of the game, was the weapons that Florida State had out for injury. The news continued to mount just before kickoff with Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson uh, being out, Kentron Portier not involved, Destin Hill played very minimal snaps, the true freshman, but clearly wasn't 100% if you saw him kind of limping on that reverse that they ran late in the second half. But it was one of Jordan Travis's better games statistically. His 360 passing yards was a season high with Ja'Kai Douglas and Darian Williamson as his primary targets out wide. That alone was one of the, the most interesting and impressive uh, little storylines to, to the season thus far. And yeah, and when you, when you think about, you know, how did Florida State move the ball with, with, without their, their top guys and, and Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson? And to me, Norvell kept running and kept plugging in the screen game. If I'm Pat Narduzzi and four of Florida State's top wide receivers are out, including Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, what am I going to do? I'm going to load the box. I'm going to force Travis to beat me through the air with one-on-one throws. And for the most part, Narduzzi, in my opinion, was successful in doing so when they tried to do those downfield one-on-one plays. 
Florida State's chunk yardage. You look, it was the Kyle Morlock. He bounced off the tackle, uh, and he goes for 60-something yards. You have the Marquise and Douglas play, <clears throat> which is, you know, the we, we talked about this before the show, just the, the, create, the creativity there on that play. And then you have the Rodney Hill run. So it wasn't these large chunk plays through the air in terms of, you know, hitting a, hitting a long ball. So Narduzzi was successful in that, but but and that's Pitt's head coach, by the way. But when when Florida State tried to go downfield and man coverage, they didn't have that normal success with Keelan Coleman and Johnny Wilson. However, the screen game, the screen game, what does that do? It absorbs the rush while simultaneously allowing Trey Benson, one of your best athletes, to get out in space. And it's not like Florida State just did a couple screens, just off the top of my head. I mean, I, they ran four screens, I believe, in the first four or three quarters. Excuse me. So. Uh, this forced Pitt to, and the Pitt defense to back off the heavy pressure a little bit, which allowed Florida State's offense to open up. I, I would I would take it even a step further. There were 12 receptions to Florida State tight ends. I would say, what, eight of them were, were tight end screens? Yep. It worked. Uh, Florida State is putting that on film quite a bit. I would be shocked if that, that play surprises anybody the rest of the season. But they did what had to be done. The, the running back screen game w- was good as well. Look, no Keon Coleman, no Johnny Wilson. How about Jordan Travis? Maybe a Heisman moment, perhaps. Yeah, maybe so. Um, <clears throat> I was looking into Heisman odds a little bit earlier today. Um, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, I think they're probably his biggest threats. Uh, Marvin Harrison, I've seen get a little Heisman talk. I think Travis's odds are, I would still think they're pretty long because, you know, Team performance is a big component in that. Washington's still undefeated. Michigan is still undefeated, although Michigan hasn't really had the best resume to show for it so far. Um, <clears throat> Travis, I would think to win the Heisman, would need three very solid games to close out the year. I guess four if you count the ACC championship. Um, and then I would think those other guys would probably have to falter a little bit. Those other guys would probably have to see their teams drop another game or two so I do think those odds are long but I think they're still semi-realistic you know maybe Travis will get the job done late in the season we'll just have to see how it plays out I think as long as Florida State remains undefeated like Jordan will still be in contention kind of regardless of how well if he goes out and has a Heisman performance just with the resume of the season thus far I think he would be um, still in contention. I still don't think his odds are that great just because there's so many talented guys up for it this year. So time will tell, but I, I, I agree with you. And look, he didn't make all the throws. He's He's been hovering still at 60% completion percentage all season long. But making those those deep throws, the fades, the over-the-shoulder throws to 5'9", Ja'Kai Douglas, who looks more like a running back than anything. And, and Douglas was... Kind of the the man of the hour, six catches, 115 yards. He had 123 yards all of last season. A guy that's been in the program. This is his fourth year. So Mike Norvell always talks about the next man up. Who is it going to be? Douglas, who didn't even catch a pass until two weeks ago against Wake, had been inactive really up until that point. Goes for over 100 yards, and uh, Travis trying to place the dimes to him right in the bucket, and he was able to do so a couple of times. So that was it from the offense and in the Trey Benson long run, the call that you heard at the top of the show, Jeff Colhane and uh, the, the Seminole Sports Network, but also the defensive side of the ball that the Jackson was alluding to. You, you drew a pretty good matchup 
Granted, it was on the road, but but uh, Christian Veyer, the Canuck quarterback, the man from from Ottawa, he struggled. A big arm, but couldn't do much with it. Didn't have much weapons and didn't get uh, a lot of good blocking up front. Uh, the Knolls now 17 points per game allowed nine games in. That's best for 16th in the country. How about that for Adam Fuller and his unit, a guy that I was putting some heat on earlier this year. The fourth time in the last five games not allowing a second-half point. How about that dominance in conference play from the defensive side of the ball? Absolutely. The defense is absolutely coming to its own. You know, we keep going back to that BC game, or at least I do, because it's an outlier, but we've seen this defensive production all year. Wake Forest game, in my opinion, was the best ev- the best recent evidence of them playing pros- possibly the best they've played since the LSU game because the amount of pressure that they've been able to get in the backfield over these past few weeks has allowed the cornerbacks to have a little bit of a break. They're not they're not in the, in the in the secondary. They are not trying to, you know, be on an island for 4 or 5 seconds it feels like every play. So, you know, to Jared Verse, Patrick Payton, Josh Farmer, Fabian Lovett, uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Braden Fisk. Those guys have really stepped up in the last few weeks and it's really showed. Those are some weapons, man. If I was on an offense, going up against that is scary as it is. So kind of just alluding what you said, it's just impressive. You look at the numbers like that's not supposed to happen. Football is a back-and-forth game most of the time. And to look at these stats and to see what this defense has been able to do, especially we were all kind of interested as to what Adam Fuller was going to be up to this year. And just, I mean, I didn't expect this. I don't think any of us did. I mean, like, seven points is seven points, you know? Like, <clears throat> the the whole narrative is that FSU is really struggling against these inferior opponents, but since the Clemson game, every single one of these wins has been by at least three scores, I believe. So, I mean, like, you can say that FSU's had these, like, starts where they're struggling, but the bottom line is they're really taking care of business, especially in the later going to the game, so... You know, it's an encouraging trend, despite what most people claim. And we'll close this part of the discussion with this, as we're talking about Florida State football. Now 9-0 on the season, 7-0 and in conference play. They just clinched themselves a spot in Charlotte the first weekend of December for the ACC championship game, the first time Florida State will be playing there since 2014. From my vantage point, no matter what happens the rest of the year, that was a really big benchmark to clear. Granted, Clemson has has vastly fallen off. Miami has stayed relevant as they always have. They've, uh, you know, Duke, UNC was hanging around a while. It's it's a weak conference. There's no getting around that. Louisville though will be tough. But just climbing this conference mountain, that was the next step to take for this program getting its way back. Yeah, absolutely, it feels like thirteen. It, it feels does. like thirteen. Of Florida State, they won a Natty in '93. They won it in thirteen. They run it. They won it in '99. Maybe they they'll win another one in 2029. Now I'm just I'm just playing around. You know, you never know though. But it feels like 13. It feels like 14. It it feels like right in the middle between 13 and 14. If you remember that 14 season, they were constantly trying to come back during games. They had to eat them out there in the second half. You know, they haven't been as dominant as that 13 team, but that was one of the most dominant teams ever. But you're right, William. You hit the nail on the head. For them to, to finally make it back, uh, not necessarily to the promised land, but you know they they've they've made it to the middle of the mountain, I guess you could say. It, it's a huge accomplishment for for Coach Coach Nerville in his fourth season. 
It's interesting, too, because we I feel like we've gone back and forth all season wondering about, like, okay, Florida State's trending in the right direction to end up there, but who's going to join them? seems every week there's been a new team that shines and a new team that falls. Like, we were talking about Miami potentially earlier this year, talking about UNC, and now, it, I mean, it's pointing towards Louisville, or even Georgia Tech is making a run for it. Things we never expected. I don't think anybody expected, so... I mean, the fact that Florida State has solidified their place, it's kind of just Florida State fans can sit back, watch, and see what happens in the conference and who they'll be facing in Charlotte. I mean, yeah, Amanda, I agree with you. Like, <clears throat> the picture has just been so, like, it's it's changed, like, every week, you know? Like, we're supposed to play Louisville right now, but that would be pretty nuts <laughs> if they ended up playing Georgia Tech right. in the conference championship. Um, you know, I feel like that would only help uh, Florida State's odds to make the playoffs because if these teams keep losing, then you would think that would make their path uh, to win the ACC just that much easier. But, you know, you still have to play the games. You know, games are won on the field, so can't be jumping to any conclusions just yet. Yeah, Florida State still has a lot of season left. Um, still some huge games coming up. I was, I was a bit disappointed, not not that I'm disappointed, but when I realized what date the ACC championship is on, that's like the week before finals for mm-hmm. Florida State students. So, Michael Alford, if you're listening, I think we might need some extensions if possible. If, if we can make that trip out to Charlotte, my mom already booked a hotel. So, I think a lot of us are kind of looking forward to that, but yeah, I guess we have to do school too. December 2nd, that game will be played, and Florida State will be a part of it, taking the driver's seat. In the Atlantic Coast Conference, we'll see how long they stay there, but a chance to win perhaps one more, who knows. Shifting gears here to the team Florida State will be playing this upcoming week, the Miami Hurricanes will come to town at Doe Campbell Stadium, a 3.30 ABC game. Disappointing. Texas TCU got the primetime slot. Give me a break from that. I think that's ridiculous. No college game day. As we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, Georgia Ole Miss was likely going to be a top 10 matchup. That's what it remained. And so the game day crew will be to Athens instead of to Tallahassee. But Florida State, a 14 and a half point favorite over their bitter rival over under on the game. A little low, 50 and a half points. And the Knowles back to back wins over the Canes, a 45 to 3 beatdown. Uh, down south last year so looking to build off of that and continue that domination uh, Norvell's uh, time here at Florida State 2-1 and one against Miami so things are trending right in that direction and he talked about it today and as tradition the the hurricane advisory flags are are atop the the tower there at the practice field they take this as a one game season they do every week but this is this is one of these games that can potentially define your season if you're able to go out and play your style of football. A little bit of uncertainty with the injuries, Norvell being kind of smug. It looks like a good shot that Johnny Wilson and or Keon Coleman will be involved in some capacity. I'd be shocked if neither of them play, probably one, perhaps both. Uh, There's a quarterback controversy going on. Miami hasn't been a great team in the ACC two and three. They're six and three overall. You know, Jackson, Florida State, uh, over a two-touchdown favorite. Says a lot about where Florida State is at, but it looks like a a rivalry game that most are expecting not to be super competitive. Growing up, you know, I'd ask, you know, some Florida State fans, you know, in my community or wherever, you know, would you rather be 2-10 and but beat Miami and Florida every year or 10-2 and and beat and, and lose to Miami and Florida? And a lot of people, a lot of people will tell you they would rather 
beat Miami and Florida and go and lose out the rest of the way. So, you know, there, there, there's so much heart in this rivalry. There's so much just hate. Just uh, what's the what's the Georgia Georgia Tech good old fashioned hate? And it's the name of that rivalry. I think it applies here for this other kind of a version for the Sunshine Showdown. Not Florida Florida State, but Florida State Miami. And I was on the field. Uh, for the for the game in Miami in 2020, I attended the game in 21, and I watched on TV like a lot of you at home in 2022. And the last three games against Miami have been a great representation of just how far Florida State has come since Mike Norvell has become the head skipper. Not only from a win-loss perspective, but a f- complete roster overhaul. You know, in 2020, the starting quarterback for for Florida State was James Blackman. If you can remember that far, I, it feels like I was, you know, just a little kid at that point. But I was a freshman in college, uh, and the star of the defense that year was Amari Gaynor. And you know, in 2022, Amari Gaynor didn't even start for the Seminoles. Now he's at UNC. In 2021, Florida State, you know, they they started to find their identity on the ground, and that was magnified in 2022. It finally started to translate. Jordan Travis became much more of a capable, confident passer, and that has translated fully into 2023. He's used his arm more than ever, it seems like, this year. And I expect Travis's confidence and the team's confidence, which stems from Travis's confidence, to take over against the struggling Miami team on Saturday. Um, You know, <clears throat> I don't know how this will go because uh, I actually just found out about an hour ago that Van Dyke might be benched for the freshman Emery Williams, so... That kind of threw a whole wrench into how I perceive this game to go. But if um, TVD's playing, what, what do you think is going to happen? Um, you don't have to give a prediction just yet, but, you know, just kind of a, a little game plan of what do you think, how it's going to play out. I mean, to be honest, like, it can't be that much different, I would think, from last year's game because, I mean, Van, Van Dyke, did he play? I can't remember. He, he did. did. He played some. He was battling through a shoulder injury. and right. It was four for eight, and they pulled him, so... Okay, well, either way, I mean, it is a rivalry game, so you never know. There could be some rivalry shenanigans that happen, but... Some tomfoolery, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Miami's schedule right now. Um, like, their best win is, I guess, Texas A&M. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could say Clemson, but, I mean, they have just been kind of shaky in ACC play, so I cannot imagine that this would be... A super close game, but I am willing to be wrong. I'm not trying to jinx Florida State or anything, so I'm just going to leave it at that. I loathe Miami even more now. Growing up, I always have, and especially like living in South Florida, being a Florida State fan. But now I am convinced that a football game is not over until I see triple zeros on the yep. board. That Georgia Tech ending was probably the craziest thing I've seen in a while. I can't imagine how Miami fans are s- still sticking around after that atrocity uh yeah that, that georgia tech game where all the wheels came off miami started the year four and oh and they, they could have just kneeled the ball and gone to five and oh and instead they fumble and georgia tech somehow finds uh behind the, the miami safeties to get the win there and then the canes losing to unc the next week Overtime wins against Clemson and UVA looked like they were on the rebound. And then Saturday, a brutal 20-6 to loss up in Raleigh to NC State where Tyler Van Dyke had three interceptions and a lost fumble. Let me tell more about what Matthew was referring to. There's a quarterback controversy in Miami. 
there was four or five different media publications covering that team that were essentially calling for the freshman Emery Williams to get the nod. As far as they're concerned, they have seen enough from Tyler Van Dyke right now going into Miami's biggest game of the season. Emery Williams started against Clemson when Van Dyke was out due to a lower body injury, and he wasn't great. He just turned the ball over once, only four and a half yards per attempt, wasn't pushing the ball downfield, just a lot of screens underneath stuff, but Miami held the ball for 37 and a half minutes in that game and was able to come away with a victory in overtime, and that that's the sticking point that everyone keeps coming back to because for Van Dyke, his 11 interceptions and eight starts most in all of FBS for quarterbacks, at least two picks in every ACC start and the four turnovers obviously last week. Tried to play through the shoulder against Florida State in 2022, but back in 2021 where he became known as Tyler Van Spike around these parts, 316 yards, four touchdowns. It wasn't perfect, but as far as I'm concerned, he kind of set the world on fire. He's got a big arm. If he's healthy and at 100% and the injury he's dealing with now, which he and Mario Cristobal deny is still playing a factor, he's one of the best pure arms Florida State will face on their schedule, if not the best. And so that changes the dynamic. If Van Dyke plays, they're going to be going deep down the field taking shots. They've got a great slot receiver in Restrepo, who Adam Fuller was very complimentary of today at his his media availability and if it's the freshman Emory Williams, it's going to be a lot of dump-offs and easy plays just trying to, I guess, wear the clock down and keep it close. Those are That's that's a wide variability of how that game is going to go, all based on who is under center. I don't know how you could turn away from Van Dyke in that spot, but when there's smoke, there's fire. And if every media outlet is calling for a change at the quarterback position, perhaps there is something there. I'll just kick it off with this. I think Florida State wins... 34-17. I think they cover the 14.5. Maybe it's closed for a while. Like I said, I think Van Dyke plays, but he's going to have a couple of interceptions and uh, mission takeaway for Fuller and his unit. The Knolls get it done. Yeah, I have Florida State 38-13. I, I think the teams, I think they'll feel each other out early on. Florida State will probably score on their first drive. I think Miami will score on their second drive, whether that's a touchdown or a field goal remains to be seen. I think Florida State will have a two-possession lead going into the half. I'll say 24-10. to 10. And from there, Florida State will score two more touchdowns. Miami will make a field goal or a touchdown in garbage time, and the defense will shut them down after. So 38-13, to 13, you can book it. we got a lot of common answers here. I say Florida State 35-17. I mean, this game's always been a battle. That's how rivalries are, especially in the state of Florida. We thought very highly of this Miami team earlier in the season. I think they might still have some fire inside, and, I mean, it's certainly come out in this game. But at the end of the day, I think Florida State is the more complete and talented team, especially if everybody is healthy. And being at home helps, especially when Miami dropped the big one at home last year. Yeah, I think similar to last week, Florida State will have to beat themselves if they have any shot of losing against Miami. I mean, I also have 35-17 Florida State. That was not planned, by the way. (laughs) No, it was not. Um, But I do have a prediction without Johnny Wilson. I don't know if he's going to be here. I said 28-20, but let's just assume they're both Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson are back. We're going to say 35-17. Like Jackson said, I can't see any way Miami wins this game unless Florida State beats themselves. But it's a rivalry game. You know, I think Miami's going to show up and at least put some points on the board, make it semi-respectable. But we'll see. Look, make no mistake. I mean, no offense saying this. Ja'Kai Douglas and Darian Williamson isn't going to be enough to get it done against Miami in a game like this. you got to get one of those guys back. 
And most likely they do, but jury is still out to an extent. So that's it for the football portion of the show. Moving over now to Jack Oliaro, who's in the tank for Seminole segment. We'll be back after he's done. But Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. As you said, I'm Jack Oliaro, and before we get into it, I'm going to give my score predictions as well for one of the greatest rivalries in really collegiate sports, and that's Florida State-Miami. Now, Miami has been punched in the mouth a few times this year, whether it be the Georgia Tech blunder, losing that track meet in Chapel Hill, or only putting up six points against NC State. Meanwhile, Florida State has no blemish thus far, and despite some near hits, they remain undefeated at the three-quarter mark. This game will see Miami really be up for it, and I don't really care who's at quarterback. Um, they'll be hoping to play spoiler, and their offense will awaken early, as I could see a 21-20 halftime score with Florida State's defense slowing the Canes down a little bit while the Seminoles' offense makes a statement after last week's struggles. I'm going to say Miami 31, Florida State 41. But now, it's time for the Seminole segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics, catching you up to speed on what you may have missed. And believe me, there was a lot, so if you missed something, no worries. I got you covered. We'll start in Cary, North Carolina, where the final four of the ACC battled for sole possession of the 2023 ACC Tournament Championship. The number one team in the country and the number one seeded Seminoles were set to face the Pitt Panthers who upset North Carolina on the road for a semifinal spot. The Knowles and Panthers played earlier this year to an enthralling 3-2 win for Florida State as they came back from a goal down at the half to rattle off three straight goals in a winning effort. And this game started well as Florida State outshot the Panthers 10-2 in the first half. The most dangerous chance came midway through the period as Oniachigini's looping shot just echoed off the crossbar. But it was nil-nil at the break. And I've said it once and I've said it a hundred times and will continue to do more. Florida State is a second-half team, and while Pitt saw better chances in the second half, it was Jody Brown who found Jordan Dudley at the near post with a tight header that called for the game's first goal and the freshman's 10th goal of the season. Now, just over five minutes later, the Nobles doubled that lead off a Taylor Huff corner kick, which saw Biad Olsen connect with the ball off her noggin, sending the ball to the back post with no chance at saving and a 2-0 advantage. From there, the Knowles cruised away and advanced to the ACC Tournament Championship for a fourth consecutive season. Awaiting the Knowles were the Clemson Tigers, who were seeking their first conference title, while the Knowles were going for double digits. The, conf- the championship could not have got off to a better start, as Jordan Dudley drove through defenders to set up Oni Ichigini, and you know what? The ACC Offensive Player of the Year made no mistake. She unleashed a shot with power and finesse into the top left corner for the opening goal. This was Echigini's sixth goal in six games as she came into the postseason firing on every and all cylinder. Clemson was able to snatch a goal back off the game's first corner before we went to the half at 1-1. And when opportunity comes a knock and the best teams don't miss their chances, as a mistake in the Clemson back line allowed Beata Olsen to send in a low cross to Echigini at the back post who nestled the ball into the net to send in a low cross to Echigini at the back post and nestled the ball into the net to regain the lead. Echigini's 35th career goal and 6th multi-goal game as a Seminole. The lead was reestablished, but Clemson certainly fought back. Christina Roquet was called to action, making three saves on the day, one of which was a near-post shot that she saved with her foot in desperation, denying Clemson's best chance. The whistle blew, and Florida State were ACC tournament champions again. A fourth straight title, 10th title in program history, now winning 11 of the past, I'm sorry, 9 of the past 11 championships. Oniachigini was named the, off- the ACC Tournament MVP for her monster performance in the championship, while herself, Jordan Dudley, Beata Olsen, Christina Roquet, and Mimi Van Zanten were named to the ACC All-Tournament team. Now, a few hours ago, the NCAA just announced the bracket for the NCAA Tournament in the march to the College Cup. Florida State were not only the number one seed in their portion of the bracket, but hold the number one overall team 
heading into the big dance. They will face Moorhead State in the first round this Friday, with details on time and TV networks to be announced later. But let's come back to Tallahassee and into the Tully Gymnasium, where the surging Florida State volleyball team would face one of their greatest challenges of the season in the sixth-ranked Pitt Panthers. Now, the Seminoles got off to a great start as they took the first set over the Panthers. This was highlighted by enormous kill by Corey Lewis, who finished with 12 kills on the night. Now, Corey Lewis and Sky Eeks then soared up for a point-scoring block that broke the deadlock in the second set. That propelled the Knolls to inch towards an upset with a two-set lead after two. They nearly took the third set to potentially sweep the sixth-ranked Panthers, but they couldn't close it out. They couldn't close out that high task, and Pitt took the third set. And Pitt also just ran away with the fourth set after storming to an early 6-1 lead. And guess what? We were heading to a fifth and final set. The two sides battled t- tough, point after point, and Florida State created some breathing room after going up 13-11. Pitt answered back 13-12. Knowles point 14-12 with match point. Pitt looks straight into the eyes of defeat and denies the Seminoles rattling off two points. Seven, I'm sorry, 14-14, and you have to win by two points at this point. Pitt's Juliana Dalton deals a service error. The Knowles are now one point away from victory. As Sidney Conley and Corey Lewis soared up one more time, they blocked a Pitt attack. The ball falls to the Pitt side of the court. It is game, set, jubilation as the Seminoles knock off the Pitt Panthers for the first time since 2016. After close games with third-ranked Florida and 11th-ranked Georgia Tech, which came down to the final, final points, Florida State emerged victorious with their first-ranked win of the season after a statement win that they still awaited because they still had another game, and that was Virginia for Senior Day. The seniors honored were graduates Sadar Driscovich and right-side outside hitter Sidney Conley. Audrey Koning made an important kill early to bring the game back to 6-6 after a bit of a sluggish opening set. It went the distance. Knowles overcame that tough start and took set one. Then senior Sidney Conley made a timely block with ACC Defensive Player of the Week Kiara Roby at the net as the Knowles cruised to an easy second set. But the Knolls stumbled in set three as the Cavs cruised to their first set in convincing fashion. Was Florida State maybe asleep at the wheel for the third set? That, that may be so. But they went right back to business and dominated set four and had their senior day victory. Uh, this coming week, we'll now see them hit the road for a Friday night date with the Orange in Syracuse, New York at 6 p.m. before a quick turnaround to go home and take on the Miami Hurricanes Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. That will be streaming on ACC Network Extra. And just to round off the segment, we'll check in with women's basketball as the Knolls currently lead 81-46 to at the end of the third quarter. Michaela Timpson has contributed 11 points off just six shots with five rebounds, and she's on limited time, so she's just balling out there right now. Uh, the Seminoles are shooting just under 50% from the three-point land. They've only missed one free throw on 14 attempts, and they forced 20 Buccaneer turnovers as they look to maybe cruise into victory there for game one. But you know what? That's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William, take this plane. We are clear for liftoff. Thank you, Jack. Some of your best work there. Always love hearing what's going on in Florida State sports, making the most of this one hour that we have possible to tell you everything that's going on in athletics here in Tallahassee. We've got about 15 minutes left until 8 o'clock where we will hand things off to new release, but more Florida State sports programming. Until then, for William, Jackson, Amanda, and Matthew here in a studio, Florida State men's basketball. They are going to take the court for the first time this year, the day before the Miami game. So that will be this Friday against Kennesaw State at 6 p.m. at the Tucker Center. So that'll be a good one for Kennesaw State. 
they had a great regular season last year, got to the NCAA tournament, and almost knocked off five-seed Xavier, but then their head coach went off to greater pastures, and a lot of their great players dispersed from the program shortly thereafter, so it may look like a higher-profile game. You know, We will see with how, how pitiful the men were last year in non-conference play. They started the season 1-9, and nine, so desperately looking to avoid a start like that. We'll start with the exhibitions that Florida State has played the last couple of weeks. Flagler College, a D2 school, Knowles won 90-74. It was just a one-point game at halftime, but uh, as you might expect, pulled away late. And then uh, yesterday against Valdosta State at D1, 190-67. So, D2. Are they D2? They are D2. Gotcha. So that's that's my bad there. So two on, D- William. Two D2s. <laughs> They seem like a D1. You always hear Ryan Kelly uh, on WCTV talking about what's going on they with that. They have probably the best arena in D2 basketball. That's I'll what, give them that. That's what's got me fooled. So two yeah. D2s <laughs> for, for exhibitions. Knowles win them both, which, uh, you know, just win them. There's a lot of programs out there that lose some of these these exhibitions, and that's real bad <clears> news. <throat> so, exactly. It happens every year, seemingly. Yeah. I want to start, start there with these, you know, they don't look like world beaters necessarily. What stood out to me most, Jameer Watkins, the VCU transfer, 18 points, six boards against Flagler. And then yesterday, 19 points and 10 boards, a double-double for him. He led the team in scoring in both games and 11 steals combined in the two contests. Look, for my money, he's probably the best player on this roster right now. No, absolutely. He's the real deal. He is going to be the glue of this offense, both scoring and facilitating. We've seen it in the, I mean, obviously they're exhibition games. I don't want to get my hopes up, but I think his ceiling is incredibly high and he's pretty much what this offense needed. He's played the most minutes in these two exhibition games, I'm pretty sure. I mean, his ability to kind of lead this offense as a transfer is pretty impressive, but I think he's really what, kind of the spark that this team needs. They were obviously last year not great and this year hopefully be a little bit better, but I think his addition is going to be very, very important, and he's going to be really effective for this team. Anything else that stood out to you in in those uh, two preseason games for how they look so far? I mean, it's again, it's the preseason. It's hard to say, especially when I was at the first two home, like the first two games of the regular season last year, where they lost to Troy and Stetson. I don't think I've ever been like more flabbergasted at (laughs) in the Tucker Center. you know, I think they have the potential to be better than last year's team, which, again, is not saying much because that's a very low bar. But I think it's going to take a couple games to really find their footing. There's some transfers. We've got some, there's some, new, um, some younger players on this team. So for all the pieces to fit together, I think it might take a couple games. Um, like I said, I mean, there's talented individuals on this team. There's no doubt about it. It's just whether or not they can work together and whether or not the coaches are putting them in positions to really highlight what they're good at. Um, but it's also, you know, basketball is a game. There's only so much a coach can do. So you run the Jimmies and Joes. Exactly. Point guards have to decide if they're going to run a play or not or if they see something. So I'm remaining optimistic for this season. I do think it might be another long season, but – you know, you hope for the best if you're a Florida State fan. Yeah, and I think if they go 500 or better, that's a tremendous success. That's Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. I think you take it one game at a time. You can't really look ahead much. 
for these games. Like you said, last year, 9-23 and 23 is kind of crazy to come out of my mouth. I think if you go 500, that's kind of takes Coach Hamilton off the hot seat, perhaps. Certainly. 9-23, and 23, the worst season in program history. And from the worst team ever, they lost a couple of, of key contributors. Matthew Cleveland, I think unanimously the Knowles' best player. He heads for Miami. Caleb Mills, who was their, their primary shot taker in most games, he, he heads to Memphis. And Naheem McLeod, standing at seven foot four, he'll be in upstate New York for the ACC foe Syracuse. Yeah, Mills and McLeod, uh, that might be addition by subtraction, but for Matthew Cleveland, that's a big loss. So that's my point. Nine and 23, and you lose your best player, that's probably not a good sign, right? Yeah, probably not. And, you know, even though you, you say it might be addition by subtraction with McLeod, you're still losing that length, that, that 7 4 length. But you mentioned Caleb Mills, you know, him being the, the primary shot taker. I, I, I find it hard to believe that he was. The primary shot maker so um <laughs> yeah notice the language that i yes, use there. yes but you know here's the thing you know 22nd season for for leonard hamilton you know we mentioned he's on the hot seat it, it would be hard for me to imagine him you know getting the axe it's like imagining uh, mike martin getting the axe you know but I, I will say last year they go nine and 23 baba miller was out for a decent amount of the year, and it seemed like Leonard Hamilton was changing the lineup every game, or at least every other game. But with all the transfers coming in, I think the defense will be better. I think they will score just a little bit better. I think they will be in a lot more games this year. I don't think they're necessarily going to win them. You know, this team has a lot of time. It, it, this team needs some time to gel, especially with the decent amount of transfers that come in. We'll see about Primo Spears and whether his waiver gets accepted from the NCAA wouldn't count on it but I do think they will be better and I do think I I don't think they're going to be as many blowouts as we've seen this year I think you know you get late into that second quarter teams might pull away but I think they will be an entertaining team regardless of what their record is just wanted to say uh, going back to the Leonard Hamilton thing um, I don't think he's retiring I heard until he sits on the other team's bench so you know, if if we decide, or if FSU rather decides to mutually part ways with Leonard Hamilton, it's not on him. But again, I think it's going to be a lot better of a season. There were so many injuries last year. Uh, Caleb Mills and Hema Cloud um, going to, I guess, greener pastures is more so addition by subtraction. Uh, the Matthew Cleveland thing, I uh, hope he doesn't hit a buzzer beater on FSU this year. That would. Uh, <laughs> That'd be quite poetic, but let's ho- let's not hope for that. And um, you know, hopefully someone working for the NCAA is listening. Give Primo Spears his waiver for my dog. Please. Yeah, let's uh, let's. Uh, it's been enough of this nonsense. We had to deal with it with Baba Miller last year. Enough. Enough is enough. This is going on Just everywhere let the kids play. across the country. The football team will will finally get Daryl Jackson back for. A bowl game or, or who knows what that's going to look like so Leonard Hamilton at 75 years old this is going to be his 2020 or his 22nd season at Florida State and Amanda one of his calling cards for a long time at Florida State is his bigs and, and some of these players that he can bring in with tremendous size 
the first time in a while, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I was doing my research before the Flagler game. This is the first season since 2006 that Coach Hamilton has not had a guy over seven foot on the roster. And he's very known for bringing in and developing these big guys because when you have a player of that stature on your team, you've got to develop a whole new style of coaching because you have to kind of use their height to your advantage. He's developed guys, I mean, Michael Ojo, uh, Balsa Kopravica, Chris Kumaji, like these Huge guys, seven three, seven four. Rojanovsky, yep. Yeah, they just there's not one this year. You've got a couple. I think Baba's six eleven, six ten, but no one surpassed the seven foot mark, which is interesting because I think two years ago there was about three of them on the team. So to not have one, that's just it's interesting that kind of you take into account your rim protection that um, might falter this year due to that. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting because you know. Seven foot university was always Florida State for the longest time. It's what they built their identity around, and one thing that that really sticks in my mind: Florida State hosted Purdue early on last year, and Zach Eady absolutely went to town, and he ended up winning National Player of the Year unanimously, I believe. So he's a tremendous player, but there was no one to guard him in the post. Nahima Cloud did everything in his power, but but he was no matchup. If Florida State plays a team with a good center. Kim Corrin at 6'10", 225, that's the biggest, probably most physical guy that they have, and, and he is not super physical, so that, that's, a, that's a great matchup concern, and you don't have a ton of really significant height behind him, so that's a, that's a little bit of a red flag looking at the roster. Uh, some, some games early on notable, they'll be at UF on November 17th, uh, a couple of games in Daytona Beach, November 20th and 21st. They'll host, uh, now it's no longer the ACC Big Ten, it's the ACC-SCC Challenge, hosting UGA on November 29th. A Wednesday 9-15 tip-off. <laughs> so get the coffee pot ready. I, I don't know why they keep doing that. The television, I guess you can have a quintuple header if you have a game uh, starting at that time. And that's and, like an NCAA tournament start time. Yeah, and then at UNC for the first conference game, December 2nd, and they'll have about a month off before the next conference game. So maybe get beat down in Chapel Hill and, and try and lick your wounds uh, for the rest of December. Also, Chandler Jackson, he was suspended in July. Florida State gave no indication as to the reason other than just he is no longer or is not currently with the, the basketball program. He was at the exhibition games but not dressed and not playing. He was a slashing guard, a freshman last year, who Hamilton was very uh, pleased with with his progress. That's a, that's a big loss to me too. Looking at the roster that you have, probably Jalen Worley running a lot of point. I know they won't designate a guy to do that, but exhibitions look like he was the distributor. Darren Green returns on that final year of eligibility as a shooter. Watkins likely in the three. Baba Miller, he, he's a a guy that came in and. He, this is someone who's going to be a lottery pick. We'll see. And then Kim Corrin probably at the five. I don't love that starting five. It's not a great ACC this year either, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, it looks like that's who they'll be lining up with. If the cards play right, yes, I think Hamilton will still take time throughout the season to kind of figure that out. He did that last year, especially with – I mean, last year they were plagued with injuries, so as a Florida State fan, you hope that's not the case this year. Um, but I do think Hamilton will kind of be swapping guys in and out throughout at least just the 
first part of the season so he can get something solidified because as a player that's hard when you don't know if you're starting or not you don't know who's the five are going to be out on the floor with that's hard because you have to take into consideration everyone's strengths and weaknesses so having a solid starting five is a great foundation that Florida State hopefully gets solidified soon yeah I mean Baba Miller we were touched on him he had a decent first two exhibition games again I don't want to get ahead of myself but he has a very similar build to the freshman Taylor Ball Bowen who was also very highly touted coming out of um, high school I mean they're both 6'10 6'11 Baba weighs about 15 pounds more but I think if Baba kind of takes him under his wing that could be a good develop like development happening there Taylor's I think his lack of experience is going to slow him down a little bit. I mean, Baba continued to play this summer. He represented Spain in the U19 FIBA tournament where they won the World Cup, and he averaged nine points a game, six rebounds. So I think the fact that he continued to play and compete at a high level this summer gives him an upper hand in this roster and against other teams as well. So I think his ceiling is high. I'm anxious to see how he pans out this year because I think he could be really big contributor for Florida State. I would say Miller is probably the biggest swing point on this team. If he looks great and more of what he was supposed to be rather than the the Miller that we saw last year that was coming off the suspension, not really great condition, was dealing with injuries, was having freshman moments. If he's more as advertised, that that's a great boost. And I also think if, if Darren Green Jr. can get back to the production that we saw at UCF, that will be a huge turning point <clears throat> Excuse me for the team. Uh, they need somebody that can reliably put the ball in the bucket from deep, from downtown. If they don't have that, that offensive threat from, from outside the arc, then, in my opinion, chop it up. Yeah. Got a couple minutes left here. Florida State, the women, number 18 in the country, by the way. They're putting the finishing touches on an opening night win, 99-60 to 60 right now over Charleston Southern as the final seconds wind down. They've got a returning player in Tanaya Latson who, for my money, the best freshman in the history of the ACC in women's basketball. Her 21 points a game were 11th best in the country, and, and she's pairing with uh, the big Michaela Timpson, who was, was tremendous, averaged nearly a double-double last year. Interesting schedule. They'll play Tennessee on Thursday. Amanda, what, what do you know right now about the women? I'm just so excited, man. This team is so fun to watch. I had the opportunity to kind of work closely with them last year and will continue to this year. But Tania Latson, man, what a treat she is. She has no fear. She's a sophomore now, so she's got a year under her belt, but seems like she's been playing at this level for years. She has no fear. The way she can dictate the pace of this game and make it everyone's problem is just unbelievable. Like you said, one of the best freshmen in the ACC. I would agree with that. In pairing her with K.K. Timpson, the two of them have really good chemistry, and um, I think with the addition of some transfers, you have Alexis Tucker from UC Santa Barbara, who's a grad student, so that gives you some experience and maturity, and you have Amaya Bonner from Cal Berkeley, which is also a very good program, so they have a st- they still have a small roster, but I think bringing these players in along with the people you already have, Amaria Gordon, what did she finish with today? She, 21 points from OMG. She is, I think she's probably five, six, maybe. She's a beast. We got Sarah Bajetti who played with Finland this summer. So 
they just got so many pieces, man. I'm so excited to watch this team develop this year, and I think they're going to make a run this year. It's tough ACC, and, and they lost in the first round of the national tournament to Georgia, and, and Latson was hurt down the stretch. Keeping her healthy will be a big factor. She did not play tonight. Looks like she may play Thursday against Tennessee. We'll be back next Monday night. We'll recap what should be a great a football game against Miami and talk some more Florida State football as well as catch up with the first games in the books for the men's and women's basketball team. I've been thrilled to have you with us for the last hour. New releases coming up next for myself, William Haynes, our co-host Jackson Bakich, Amanda Golson, Matthew Smith, Jack Oliaro with a great seminal segment saying so long. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.